and welcome into the latest edition of the Sharpshooters Podcast. I'm David Schuster, joined as always by my good friend, Mark Schanowski. And of course, we would like to thank our great national sponsor. That would be DraftKings. want to remind you that NBA teams are entering the final month of the regular season as they gear up for the playoffs. While some teams are locks to make the playoffs, others are still fighting for their opportunity to chase the trophy this summer. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting you in the center of the action with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in free bets. Now, turning $1 into $100 is actually pretty simple. You just pick any NBA team to win their next game, and if during that game the team of your choosing hits a three-pointer, you bring home $100 in free bets. That's 100 to 1 odds on the team of your choosing to hit a three. They don't even have to win. And the way the game is played right now, that is an absolute lock for a team to hit a three-point shot in an NBA game. This year, teams have been hitting threes at an unprecedented pace. So get in on all the action with DraftKings Sportsbook before this offer ends. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Just download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TBPN. That's all capital letters, TBPN. When you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free bets, if the basketball team of your choosing hits a three-pointer, that's code TBPN to turn $1 into $100 in free bets. This offer for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. David, I think that's what you call a lock in the industry. (laughs) To make make one three-point shot in an NBA game? I like those odds. I would say so. Um, all right, let's talk about the Bulls, and then we'll get to the NBA and, of course, our walk-down memory lane segment at the end of this podcast. And, Mark, uh, after losing six in a row, um, and this you know, was in the midst of the trades that they sort of revamped their whole roster, the Bulls have now won a couple games in a row. We're recording this podcast on Wednesday evening. But going back to last weekend, they defeated a very, that day at least, watered-down Brooklyn team. Um, and then last night, uh, they look good. They look good against Indiana. And, you know, honestly, it, it's playing just the way I thought it would. Um, obviously, the trades improve the roster. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I mean, getting an all-star center, we'll talk a lot about uh, Nikola Vucevic in just a moment here. It improved the roster, but it took some time for these guys to start figuring out how to play with each other. And the fact that they were playing all these road games against pretty good teams you know, it just I I expected them to lose those games. But honestly, Mark, going for the forward here, even though they still have four more road games here, I'm actually expecting the Bulls to win more often than not going forward. They're going to make the playoffs. I don't know if it's going to be as the, um, oh gosh, what is it, the ninth seed or the tenth seed? Uh, you know, right now they're the tenth seed. You know, I just like the way they're playing now. Vucevic is figuring out what to do. He had a monster game last night against uh, Indiana. And I, I think good, good, or I should say better days are ahead for the Bulls. Well, they better make the playoffs because they traded away their first-round draft pick, which kind of makes the lottery a waste of time. They did get top four protection on that pick, but the odds of jumping to the top four are, are virtually non-existent. I, the one thing that's really impressed me, about, especially the last couple of games, Billy Donovan, in the span of, what, two weeks, has totally transformed the offense. They used to be a quick-hitting fast-paced team that was trying to push the ball in transition, kick the ball out to open shooters. Now they're kind of a walk-it-up, half-court, grind-it-out offense, get the ball into either Vucevic or Daniel Tice and run some action off of those big guys. 
and it's been effective. You know, they beat Brooklyn, granted, without Harden or Durant, and then they go on the road and beat a Pacers team, which was also shorthanded. When you look at the schedule over the next couple of weeks, they do have a chance to stack up some wins and put themselves solidly in that playoff picture. But, you know, any NBA coach will tell you it's very difficult to make major changes at the trade deadline because you don't have a lot of practice time. And even without practice time, basically just doing walkthroughs and hotel ballrooms and wherever they can get some time, he's gone to running the offense through Nikola Vucevic. I mean, the ball's going into the post. People are cutting off him. You're getting weak side action. It's been fun to watch. And I give credit to Billy Donovan and his assistants for, you know, burning the midnight oil and getting a system that's really working well right now. And, and Mark, not only has he revamped the offense as well, he should have, you know, you're getting an all-star center. You got to do it. That's that's the way it's going to be, not only for this season, but for probably the seasons to come. But he's also shortened the rotation. First couple of games, he was taking a look at a lot of the players that he picked up. Um, but now he's basically down to an eight or even nine man rotation. Now, Daniel Tice wasn't available last night. I'm not even sure why. Um, and, you know, he'll get back into the rotation. And I like his game, too, even though he won't be around here next season. But, you know, it, it's go time now for for this team and Billy Donovan. And, you know, when coaches start really smelling the big games down the stretch of the season, they shorten that rotation. That's exactly what he's doing right now. Yeah, it was almost like a playoff game, even though, you know, we're over 20 games to the finish line. Billy rode eight players for the most part for that entire game. The only guys who got significant minutes off the bench were the former lottery picks, Lowry Markin and Kobe White, along with Troy Brown Jr., who came over in that three-team deal with the Wizards and Celtics. Denzel Valentine, uh-uh, he didn't play. Uh, Ryan Archie Diacono, uh-uh, he didn't get any significant minutes. So Daniel Tice was away from the team. They're ta- calling it personal reasons. I think it may be the same kind of family issue that kept him away from the first game when, after the trades. But hopefully he'll be back at some point during this road trip because I think he's really contributed well to this team. You know, I, I think that Billy's seen enough of uh, Denzel Valentine's game, which is really kind of wild. You know, he plays almost a pickup style with uh, 15-foot floaters and no-look passes and, and, you know, bad percentage plays. And he'll get some minutes here and there. But I think right now they're looking for a more solid rotation. I think Colby White, who played 31 minutes against the Pacers, is going to get backup minutes at both the point guard and the shooting guard. And I think that's going to basically knock Denzel out of the rotation. And, and you know, you mentioned Colby White, Mark. And, and though they've tried really hard over the last year plus, you know, the two administrations to turn him into a point guard, I think they all know he's not a point guard. But slowly but surely, not only do they realize what his niche is, but I think he'll realize what his niche is also. He's going to come off the bench. He's going to play a lot of minutes coming off the bench. And he's going to score, which has been his forte ever since he picked up a basketball for the first time. So, you know, a lot of people say, well, gee whiz, you you drafted a player, number seven, and he's going to be your sixth man. That's a waste. No, it's not. Not in today's NBA. As long as he's on that rookie contract, I think that they can get great value out of him. You know, he played 31 minutes in the game against the Pacers, finished with 13 points and six assists. And I thought, by and large, he played pretty well in the game. When you take ball handling responsibilities away from him, when you take the you know, responsibility of organizing the team in half-court sets, I think that's where Kobe can thrive. Just catch the ball, shoot it, push the pace, try to score in transition. That's really his game. And as I mentioned, he'll have, uh, what, two more years left on that rookie deal, and then they'll have to decide whether or not he really is part of the foundation. And let's face it, if they get the opportunity to get a star player this summer and it's a trade and the other team wants Kobe White, they'll put him in the trade. You know, there's no allegiance to Kobe or no allegiance to Lowry Markkinen. I mean, we saw at the deadline, 
any of the players that came before Arturis Karnischewicz took over, uh, they are very liable to be put into trades if the right opportunity presents itself. You know what, Mark, a long time ago, and this is going all the way back to my high school days involved with sports, I was always told sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. And, and really, the Bulls have had some luck when it comes to other teams' injuries. Just even recently, Brooklyn was without Durant. They were without Harden. Uh, Kyrie Irving, uh, you know, did what he could. But, you know, that day specifically. And, and Brooklyn, it was a case in point. They were trying to get involved with a couple of their players, Aldrich and Griffin. And, you know, it, it takes time for people to adapt to a new team. And you could tell that they just weren't in sync yet. But, you know, the injuries. I mean, Indiana last night was without Brogdon and Sabonis and Toronto, who the Bulls play tomorrow. And again, we're recording this on Wednesday. They're going to be without likely half their team. So sometimes right. it's better to be lucky than good, isn't it? Well, when you consider the bad luck the Bulls have had with injuries, it seems like almost forever since uh, since back in the Thibodeau era where guys were constantly getting hurt and, and some major injuries along the way. They are due for a run of good luck. And, you know, fortunately, the schedule is, is broken in their favor because after the, they made the trades, you know, they had that tough Western trip playing some of the best teams in the league when they were in the adjustment period and they took a couple of L's along the way. But now that's going to kind of even out. And I would think that, you know, next time we talk in a week or so, they should be in much better position in terms of feeling like not only are they going to be in a solidly in a playoff play in position, but maybe they can get up to a seven or eight seed. All right, let's talk about Vucevic because he's as good as advertised. I mean, you and I know his game. We, we've been watching it for the last few years. And, you know, the first couple of games, I think he was deferring, which is normal for a new guy on a team. But I think he was told, play your game. And last night, obviously, he played his game. 32 points, 17 rebounds, five assists, a couple of block shots, I think, also. Anyway, um, going forward, and, you know, I think, I don't know who had this poll question on Twitter. Who's the Batman and who's the Robin between him and Zach Levine? And does it really make any difference, Mark? That was our guy, Joe Colley. He gets a shout out in just about every one of our podcasts. But we, you know, we both respect his work. And he comes up with some thought-provoking things. And, and I actually voted in it just to see what the uh, tally was going to be. It was pretty even. You know, uh, some people thought the best choice, I think the leading choice, was C, that that person's not on the team yet. I went with Vucevic's Batman because I think right now the offense is going to go through him. You know, you know, you, we've seen that he's a willing passer in the post. When he gets the double team, he'll kick it to the weak side and try to set up a shooter for an open three. And we're going to hear from Zach Levine in a little while, and he's willing to defer to Nick when he's got it going. And I, I think that for after carrying this team for the last three seasons, Zach's like thinking, thank God somebody else can help me out. Well, you're right. We're going to hear from Zach Levine, but let's hear from Vucevic first. And here he talks about playing with Levine and, you know, very complimentary of his new teammate. Uh, it's great. I mean, you know, Zach's, you know, uh, you know, great player and, uh, you know, he can score in many ways. He can facilitate. He does a lot of things on the court. And uh, I think at, at times also he's he might be a little too, un, you know, unselfish and he can be a little more aggressive, which I've told him. But it's great. I think, you know, the, the more him and I are able to, to grow and build that chemistry in a two-man game, you know, the, the better it will be, you know, for, for the whole team. And I think in this league, when you have, you know, a, a two-man game like that with two guys that can score in different ways, it's very hard to guard. And so, you know, we continue to, to work on it to, to build our chemistry. I think tonight, you know, there were some plays where we, you know, we were very good and we actually also missed some you know, very good looks that we got out of our two-man game. And, you know, Mark, it's, it's only been a handful of games, but... Gosh, how can you not like what you see when two All-Stars, and I've always been a big believer in this, Mark, and I think you'll agree, 
good players can play with each other. It's very rare when you get guys who can't play with each other, who are good basketball players. And the reason that, you know, the few times that happens is because, I don't know, it's it's almost like a personality conflict with some guys. But otherwise, talent should be able to play with talent. It's kind of funny to hear Bucevic say that I have to tell Zach to be a little more aggressive. Who would have ever thought that any NBA player would have to go up to Zach Levine and say, maybe you should shoot the ball a little more. That's never been an issue for Zach. But you look at the box score from the game against Indiana, and Vucevic got 29 shots up. Uh, Zach Levine only had 18 and didn't shoot it well at all. He was 6 for 18. But I think we're going to hear from Zach. But I think that ankle's still bothering him a little bit. When he's 100% healthy, he'll get back to maybe taking some step-back threes and some shots that you go, oh, no, oh, no, and then it goes in. You're like, good shot. So I don't think anybody has to tell Zach to be more aggressive in terms of shooting the ball. You know, it'll be really interesting when there's a game on the line in the last 10, 12 seconds and the Bulls have the ball who is going to take that shot? That'll tell you who's the Batman and who's the Robin. Yeah, and I think more than likely it is a perimeter-based league right now. So the ball will be in Zach Levine's hands. The one thing we've seen much more of in the last couple of games is that high pick and roll, which really puts the defense in a bad position. What are you going to do? Because the first read is, what is Vucevic going to do off the screen? You don't know if he's going to pop out to the three-point line or if he's going to roll hard to the basket. In the game against the Pacers, we saw some of each. There was one sequence where Zach came off a screen, dumped it into Vucevic rolling hard, and he threw down a two-hand dunk. And then later he popped out to the three-point line and knocked that down. You know, since Vucevic arrived, he really had not been shooting the three-pointer all that well. But he was four for seven against the Pacers. And hopefully that's a sign of better things to come. Because when you have a seven-foot guy who can make a three and who also can tear you up on the inside, that puts the defense in a really big predicament. All right, let's hear from Zach Levine. And I thought it was a really good question. I don't know. It might have been Joe Colley again asking this after last night's game. But uh, someone asked him specifically, your scoring is down a little bit. Obviously, a lot of it has to do with, you know, coming back from, from the ankle sprain. But do you even care that your numbers are down? And they will go down. When you have another guy who's capable of scoring 30 points a game, it's it's pretty obvious that's going to happen. And here's the question to Zach Levine. And basically he answered, he doesn't care what goes on with his numbers. He, he does the politically right answer here. I mean, you know me, man. You know, I'm, I'm more than fine with that. As long as there's a W behind there, you know, I'm good. And even, you know, I had, I had my opportunities to get, you know, over the last couple of games. I, I'm coming back off this ankle injury. I'm trying to get my timing and my, and my legs under me even tonight. I think you guys know me. I'm, a, I'm all about winning and, and trying to, you know, get this team to be better. So if that means me, you know, taking a lesser role some nights and my scoring goes down, I'm fine with that as long as we get a win. Uh, not really much to add to that. Zach Levine has always been saying the last three years, all he cares about winning. I think he cares a little bit about his numbers as well, Mark. And let's not let's let's not kid ourselves. But most of all, he does care about winning. Well, his two goals for this season were to make the All Star team for the first time in his career, and hopefully guide this Bulls team into the playoffs. He's one for one so far, and he's hoping to nail down that second one. And this is his seventh year in the league. When you consider Zach is only 26 years old, it's mind-boggling to think he's been in the league for seven years. Of course, he broke in with a very bad Minnesota team that was traded to a totally rebuilding Bulls team. So you can cut him some slack there. But he's tired of, of people pointing out what his career record is in the NBA and suggesting that somehow that means that he's not a winning player. He's just been on some bad teams. And he has made some concessions to his game in terms of being more willing to set up his teammates rather than always to try to carry the offense on his shoulders. But I think right now this uh, co-star role has more to do with his ankle being a little bit sore than it does in, in him redefining his game.
You know, Mark, next year they'll obviously have a new point guard, uh, starting point guard. But at least for right now, uh, Tomas Sadoransky, I think, is playing some pretty good basketball, unselfish basketball. He shows you that he can score. He can, you know, whether from the outside or and more importantly, going inside. I mean, you know, Sadoransky is a fearless player going to the basket. I'll give him that. And, you know, he, he, he definitely distributes the basketball. He had um, like a career, I should say a season high, maybe even a career high um, in the game against Brooklyn the other day. Anyway, uh, as far as him being the point guard, he says he's getting used to playing with Vucevic. It takes time, you know, kind of just on players that they came through and, uh, you know, we didn't have a practice really before the game, first game, you know, and we try to like learn after every every game from film session, you know, in the shoot arounds, how to play with each other. I think uh, his biggest advantage is that he's such a great shooter and he's got, a, you know, he's got such a great touch in a low pose that you can really manipulate uh, the defensive coverages, you know. Uh, <clears throat> I think it's, it's, it's a big advantage for us when he can pop and create all that spacing. Uh, because he's shooting uh, around 40% from three, so which is which is very unique for this type of big guy. And uh, you know, we we were tr- we trying to take advantage of that. Uh, like I said, we're learning on the go. Same same thing with Tice. You know, they are a little different, but you know, Tice is a very uh, skilled big guy. Uh, he gives us also the toughness. You know, that that was much needed. And uh, I feel we will we will just get better from from this point on. I thought that he would be gone at the at the, the trading deadline, Mark. I was wrong about that, and, and a good thing because, honestly, somebody's got to lead this team uh, offensively, handling the ball more often than not, and Sadoransky's doing a good job. I really like Sato as a backup player, a guy that can give you you know some depth at, at three perimeter positions. He can't be your everyday starting point guard because he doesn't have the physical traits that can allow him to hold up on the defensive end. Offensively, most nights he's not going to hurt you. You know, He can hit open threes. He can coordinate a half-court offense. Maybe not the best ball handler in the world, but he knows passing angles. He knows how to get the ball to the top scores, and he's a very unselfish player. The the place where Sato's going to hurt you is on the defensive end because quicker players are going to have a field day against him. And I think that if the Bulls get the opportunity to get into the playoffs, you know, if they're at eight seed playing Brooklyn, and he's got to try to match up against Harden or Kyrie, I mean, that's lights out. Yeah. Um, let's hear one more sound bite. Let's go back to uh, listening to Nikola Vucevic. Um, and I think this might have been from his initial press conference when he came over from Orlando. Anyway, he says he loves being a bull and being in Chicago. What I really like is that it's a, you know, a very motivated group of guys. They really want to win. Uh, they want to win now. Uh, they're an unselfish group and they stick together. And uh, that's one thing that you know, kind of that's the first uh impression i got when i when i got here and then the, the way they welcomed me and then watching them in practice uh the first day because we couldn't practice because you know the physicals weren't done and just throughout the games you know they stick together uh and they just have this positive energy and like i said they're very motivated so although all those things are very important when you want to have success and uh you just you know have to continue to grow and each game for me you know uh they're really they're really trying to get me to fit in and uh, make my life easier and so it's all, honestly, it's all been positive. Uh, you know, we just hopefully we can you know, get some wins, and it will just be easier to, to grow together. But so far, I mean, all, all the uh, you know, impressions I had from everybody has been very positive. I mean, they're all trying to help me. You know, I have a couple of Euro guys, which you know I, I fit with pretty well too. So it's all been good. And Mark, whenever the fans are able to get back at the United Center, uh, I think they'll love him as much as he loves being a bull. And it's really interesting, Mark. Um, I don't know if this was publicized or not, but I found this out the other day. The Bulls and I guess the Blackhawks as well, they were all set to announce that they were going to have fans back in the building 
um, because, you know, the White Sox and the Cubs here in Chicago have got the 20% or whatever it is. And so you, it only stood the figure that the teams, you know, playing at the United Center would have the same thing. But unfortunately, Chicago had, I guess, a little bit of an uptick in the COVID um, numbers here recently. So uh, the administration in Chicago said, uh-uh, not yet. Yeah, and unfortunately, we're probably going to see that trend around the league uh, because of the fact that a lot of communities coming off spring break where a lot of people out with uh, out wearing masks and big crowds. And, and I think the numbers are going to show a little bit of an upsurge. And I was kind of surprised that Chicago opened up as much as it did, um, you know, opening more capacity in bars and restaurants to like 50 percent. And it's only to be expected that you're going to have kind of an uptick in, in the infection rate. But more and more people are getting the vaccine now. And hopefully by playoff time, the NBA at large can announce that they can have more fans in the arenas because you'd love to create that excitement when you get. Because we've seen in some of these baseball games I've been watching, the crowds have been doing a great job making some noise. And it really does add to the atmosphere. Well, it certainly isn't helping the Cubs offensively because they have a team no. batting average. 119. Let me repeat that. 119. I know I'm skipping sports going from basketball to baseball. I just had to throw that in there. Well, to quote the great Carlos Sombrano, we stinks. <laughs> and the same can be said for the White Sox defense in their bullpen. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Both Chicago teams not off to a great start in the first week. <laughs> All right, back to the Bulls. Um, again, they're in the midst of another long road trip, and it's really interesting. I didn't know this until I saw it on Reddit earlier today. I guess all the players were vaccinated um, before they went on this trip. And I guess they would have gotten the Johnson and Johnson thing because that's just the one shot deal. Um, and I, you know, because they're going to be on the road for the better part of about seven or eight or nine days, whatever it is. Anyway, they play at Toronto. We're recording this on Wednesday night. They play at Toronto tomorrow night. And again, the Raptors who are playing down in Florida, they've just been decimated by injuries. Then they go to Atlanta. Then they go to Minnesota. Then they go to Memphis. And, and again, <laughs> quoting Joe Kiley, Joe Kiley yet again, he said during this 10-game stretch, they could either go 8-2 and two or 2-8. Two and eight. I tend to think that they're going to have an overwhelming winning record because of the teams they're playing, because all of a sudden they're playing some good basketball, Mark. Yeah, and then they come back home after that, and I think they play Cleveland, Memphis again, and then another team that they should beat. So, yeah, these next two weeks, we should get a really good idea of whether or not they're going to make a serious move upwards in the Eastern Conference standings. I mean, I don't think there's any way they can get to six, but I guess in the East, stranger things have happened. Really strange that the Eastern Conference, you got Brooklyn, Philly, and, and Milwaukee's been playing better basketball for the most part. So those three teams are running away and hiding from everybody else. And then four through 11, there's only a difference of six games between eight different teams. The Bulls currently, as we um, record this, are in 10th place. Um, there are two games uh, in front of Toronto, who's in 11th. And I just don't think Toronto's going to make it. The Bulls are going to make the playoffs. Whether it's going to be one of those one-game, you know, live-or-die things like the NCAAs or not, I'm not really sure. But they will make the postseason. Yeah, and I think Miami and Boston will move up and solidify those spots at uh, four and five. And then the, the Hawks have gotten more players healthy. They've been playing better basketball lately. So, you know, I think that's your most likely top six. I'm still not buying the Knicks. I know they're they're hanging around 500 and, and, and they're doing okay, but I, I just don't see enough firepower on that team to really be able to withstand, you know, the close games that they're going to have to play down the stretch. Tom Thibodeau is a really good coach. I have a ton of respect for him. And and they'll certainly not drop below 10, but I, I'm not sure if they're going to be able to hold where they are they are right now. And 
And Charlotte's been beat up by injuries too. Yeah, actually, Charlotte, I'm surprised, has been playing overall pretty decent basketball, even after LaMelo Ball went down with injury. And, of course, the Knicks got the injury to their center. That's a tough one to overcome. Let's talk about the Western Conference and a few other things around the league. Um, you know, Utah and Phoenix, and they're playing this evening. I'm going I'm to watch this game a little bit later on. That's going to be a good game. They're one and two. Then you got the Clippers. Then you got Denver. Then you have the Lakers who might not get home court in the first round. They're currently fifth. Eventually they're going to get LeBron and Anthony Davis back. And I think that might be enough, no matter where they play basketball, but it, it's going to be really interesting. The Lakers are going to have to win that first playoff series playing uh, as the road team. Yeah. If they would somehow drop to like six and, and would have to play an, an opening round series against a, a high quality team, like the Clippers or Denver in the, in the opening round. I mean, that, that would be a heck of a challenge. Not to say that with, LeBron and Davis healthy, they wouldn't be a, a solid favorite in that series. But, you know, if you have to go to Denver and play on the road at altitude, you know, there could be some issues that pop up. And Denver's playing some really good basketball right now. Aaron Gordon, you know, we talked about Zach Levine getting a reputation of, of not being able to be a, a winning player. Well, amazing what moving to Denver has done for Aaron Gordon. He's playing at a very efficient rate right now. That team has been on an incredible roll. And he's fit in seamlessly because, you know, they were trying to figure out what to do with the power forward spot. They were starting an over-the-hill Paul Millsap, and they were trying different combinations to try to kind of hide that power forward spot. Well, now with Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr., who's been shooting the lights out lately, that is one hell of a front line with uh, the, the most likely the MVP now in Nikola Jokic. I know we've talked a lot about the MVP, but now Harden could miss 10 games, and Bede's missed a bunch, LeBron's missing a bunch, you know, Jokic all of a sudden looks like he's the front runner for MVP. You know, it's funny because that's the next thing I was going to ask about, you know, because we talk about this each and every podcast. And you're right. Harden's going to be out likely 10 days, maybe longer. You know, after a while, you just have to uh, take into account all these guys have missed so much time. And Bede is back and he had a good game the other day. And, uh, and I'm sure he'll be good down the stretch. You know, I know what you felt felt about LeBron earlier, but he's just going to miss too much time. Right. Um, Jokic, I think, as of today, and it keeps changing. And then I think Luka Doncic, who was the odds-on favorite before the season started, he sort of crept back into the conversation. But I think he's just got too much ground to cover. And we didn't even mention Giannis, who won the last two MVP awards. And if you looked at his numbers, you could make the case that that he's right up there with Jokic. But we know how voter fatigue works with the MVP, and the fact that Milwaukee choked in the last two playoffs is going to work against Giannis. I mean, the voters just are not going to vote him a third straight MVP award to put him up with the likes of, uh, you know, Larry Bird, and I forget who the other, I think there was one other three-time uh, award winner in consecutive years. So, because uh, Giannis had that game the other day where he had like 40, 47 points and made all 18 of his two-point attempts, and then he sat out last night and they lost to Golden State. So, um, you know, he's he still is the guy that carries that Milwaukee team. If this was a different year, his numbers would probably compare pretty favorably, but there's no chance he's even going to finish in the top three this year. Are you surprised that Holiday got a four-year, $160 million deal in Milwaukee? Stunned. Stunned. I mean, the owners that, that came in there, they have done nothing but treat that franchise like it's a big market team. Um, as we've talked about in the podcast, I grew up in Milwaukee, and I know that Throughout the course of the Bucks' history, there have always been issues with finances. You know, they went from the old Mecca, the Milwaukee Arena, to the new Bradley Center, and that thing got torn down now to put up Pfizer for them. And these owners are not Wisconsinites. You know, they came in from out of state, 
and people are always kind of suspicious. Are they going to try to move the team to another market to try to take it, make more money? But they, they said they were committed to keeping that franchise in Milwaukee. They put up a state-of-the-art arena. They built a brand-new uh, practice facility. They signed Giannis to the Supermax extension. And Drew Holiday is a very good player. But four years, potentially up to $160 million, I I don't know about that one. Because they also maxed Chris Middleton out, who's another very good player, but not a superstar. You know, it's really interesting. I think, what, about 12 or 18 months ago, we were talking about this upcoming summer with all the free agents that were going to be available. And it was just going to be like a bonanza for these teams to go after these guys. That's not going to be the case. And that's why I think a lot of these guys, including Holiday, got the deal that he did. I don't know. Milwaukee's putting themselves, you know, they're they're putting all their eggs into a basket. Obviously, they got a great player, not to decompo. But, you know, Holiday and Middleton, I mean, you're not going to be able to add much else, obviously. Well, I'll be rooting for them. You know, like I said, I'm uh, I'm a Milwaukeean, but I don't see them getting out of the second round because they're going to be the three seed. They're going to have to play either Philadelphia or Brooklyn, whichever team finishes second in the second round. They're not going to win that series. So then you've invested all this money, maxed out these guys. Basically, you've got your team for the next five years. They traded multiple first-round draft picks to get Holiday from New Orleans. So it's not like they're going to be adding in the draft. With all the money you spent on those three guys, you don't have any cap space. That's your team. And, you know, good luck because Brooklyn's not going anywhere with those three superstars. Philadelphia's still going to have Embiid and Simmons. And and Boston, you know, Danny Ainge has really had a bad couple of years, but he does have he does have the assets where he could possibly turn that team into a really good contender. And Pat Riley has the possibility of getting a max free agent this summer. So uh, they, they've really invested everything into this group. I hope it works out, but I have my doubts. All right. A few other things before we get to our walk down memory lane segment, Isaiah Thomas, this Isaiah Thomas um, signed with New Orleans. I know he played in the game last night and actually I think he played about 15, 18 minutes, whatever it was. Um, are you surprised by that? And do you think that has any kind of effect on what might happen with Lonzo Ball after the season? Well, he was just signed to a 10-day contract, so it's not like they made any big commitment to him. They've had some injuries over there and guys, you know, a couple of their guards being out. And I think that's the reason that they brought him in, just to kind of be a, a stopgap. Um, Josh Hart got hurt. He's going to be out for a while. And, and I think that uh, Kyra Lewis is out as well right now because I was watching the game before we started taping, uh, they're playing tonight and they brought Isaiah in there uh, off the bench and he's getting pretty significant minutes because the, you know, their, their normal rotation is all messed up. I, I don't know that they'll, uh, he'll probably finish the season with them. I would guess they would sign him for the rest of the year, but you know, he said that he finally feels like he's over the hip injury, which really short, you know, short-sighted his career. Um, you know, he had that year in Boston where he was top five in the MVP voting. He was unbelievable. He averaged like 29 points a game. But because of all the injuries and because he's only 5'9", he's had a tough time trying to follow up on that that year. You know, I wish him well. I hope he can reclaim what he what he used to have. He always had a guy seeing his career cut short because of injury. And New Orleans won't be his final destination. He's trying to show the rest of the league that he's worth investing in this summer. Absolutely. All right. A couple other things real quickly. Um, some of the players that the Bulls traded at the deadline, I got to give some kudos to Wendell Carter Jr. He's playing good down in, in Orlando. And my God, they've won a couple of games. I thought they wouldn't win any games for the rest of the season. But Otto Porter Jr. is hurt already. 
He still knows where to collect his paycheck, though. On the 1st and 15th, he's the MVP of the league. I'll tell you what, that guy is getting his money. I just laugh at that. I just, you know, unbelievable. <laughs> uh, and Chandler Hutchinson, and I'm looking at the box score. I don't think he got into the game tonight either. You know, um, who knows? He might be wearing his welcome out. And maybe he got into a, a, a verbal spat with an assistant coach there. He's not even playing anymore. So it's really interesting. And Luke Cornett, you know, hits, shoots at least a couple of three-pointers for Boston. But come on, that was just the throwing into that deal. So really, the Bulls, you know, and again, I give some credit to Wendell Carter Jr., He'll play a lot of minutes going forward in Orlando, but he's never really going to be a major factor in the NBA either. Yeah, like we've talked about in the past, I think Wendell Carter Jr. is a nice NBA rotation player. It's just the Bulls reached for him at seven. And it wasn't like, you know, there was, oh, I wish they would have taken that guy. Um, well, there is. They could have taken Colin Sexton. But, you know, when you looked at it at the time, they were looking to, to add a big guy because they knew that the top guards – in Luka Doncic and Trey Young were going to be off the board. They probably would have taken Trey Young if he had been there at seven, but unfortunately he was off the board. And you know now the Bulls are in the position where they're looking for a point guard. Had they taken Colin Sexton instead of Wendell Carter Jr., you'll wonder how that might have shifted the way things have gone for them. Uh, but you know Sexton had his struggles trying to adjust to the NBA life, and and even though he's improved a lot this season, um, you know he still is not. He's kind of a one-dimensional guy. He's a scoring point guard, not really the kind of guy who's going to run the offense at peak efficiency. All right, uh, one last thing before we go to our walk down memory lane segment. Uh, the NCAA tournament overall, pretty good. That UCLA game against Gonzaga was yeah. maybe the best college game I've ever seen. Um, you know, the championship, if I was a betting man, which I'm not, I would have taken Baylor. There was such an emotional letdown after that victory against UCLA, I'm not surprised that Gonzaga was semi-flat at the beginning of the game and Baylor just blew him out right early. So as far as that went, but there's been some players here and you know we're way, way, way ahead of ourselves talking about what will be the NBA draft coming up. I think it's in is it June or July. I can't even remember it's this late, year. It's late July. Okay, late it's July. Like July 29th, something like that. It looks like the pecking order as of right now, Mark, is Kate Cunningham from Oklahoma State. And I got to do my research on him. I have not seen him uh, other than a few uh, YouTube uh, clips. Evan Mo Mobley from USC, the seven foot center. And by the way, seven foot centers are coming back into play in the NBA as long as they can shoot from the outside. Um, Jalen Suggs obviously is, is a clutch kind of player from Gonzaga. And then I guess uh, um, uh, Patrick, uh, Patrick uh, Williams' teammate from Florida State. Scotty Barnes, 6'9 forward. I think they played together, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, that seems to be the pecking order as of right now. No, actually, Barnes is a freshman. So he, oh, he basically freshman. took Patrick Williams' spot, even to the point where um, they were bringing him off the bench to start the season. So he got the Patrick Williams treatment. They didn't even, they didn't even start him. They made him the sixth man. And, and I think that he's got a game that's, that's comparable to Patrick Williams. He's kind of a, a stocky, well-built guy who can handle the ball a little bit. I, I think that Patrick Williams... From what I've seen of Barnes, I like Williams a little bit more. Uh, Mobley is an interesting prospect because he even wears number four, which reminds me even more of Chris Bosh. He's like the string being uh, center who can shoot the ball a little bit, who can block shots, who can really run the floor very well. He'll probably be the second or third pick. I really like Suggs. Of course, the whole nation saw him during Gonzaga's tournament run. He was a guy who was an all-state quarterback in Minnesota and was recruited by a lot of top uh, football programs around the country, but he decided to play basketball. And, and I think he's going to make some NBA team a great point guard. 
I saw a lot of Cade Cunningham. I thought he was overrated early in the year because he wasn't really scoring it that well. But as the season went on, he really grew on me. He's a six-seven, six-eight guy who can handle the ball, who can get into the paint and score. And he really shot the ball better as the season went on. And I think that he will be able to make the NBA three. You know, obviously this, this situation with the Bulls, they don't have a first round pick. So they'll just kind of be a spectator to see where these guys fall. Unless they get lucky, of course. Um, and then well, you're, you're right. If they make the playoffs, then yeah, they're not yeah. going to get in anyway. Yeah. That is true. So let me just throw a scenario. I, and you're right. They will make the playoffs. So it's not even going to come into play. But if they didn't make the playoffs for some strange reason and they got, let's say, the number three pick getting lucky in the lottery, would you turn the team over to uh, Jalen Suggs? And would you be happy with that? Would you take that chance? Well, I would take Jalen Suggs at three, no question about it. I think that he's going to be an excellent NBA point guard. You know, he's very sturdy. Um, he can he can drive into the paint. He can initiate contact and still finish wrong at the rim. He has a nice-looking shot from the outside, and I think that he would be the kind of point guard they would be looking at, kind of an old-school guy that tries to make his teammates better. Um, and, and, you know, we should clarify one thing. If the Bulls are 9 or 10 and then they lose and don't get into the formal playoffs, they would be in the lottery. Okay. So, yeah. So the teams okay. that don't get one of the top eight spots, they tumble back into the lottery. So, yeah, there there is that snowball's chance in hell that they could do it, you know, much like the Derrick Rose year when they had a 1.7% chance and they wanted up with the first pick. So, yeah, I mean, if if they miss the playoffs, if they lose in a, in a play-in game and they tumble into that lottery, yeah, people will be watching that with interest to see if they can beat the odds. All right, let me clarify my question, though. Um, and obviously the hypothesis, hypothesis, tough word to even say, much less spell, um, has been that the Bulls will find some kind of free agent guard in the offseason, right. much like Chris Paul or you know somebody of that ilk, to lead this team, which is now ready to you know move further up in, in uh, the pecking order. Would you turn the team over to a Jalen Suggs? You know, if you got him at number three to be your starting point guard to go along with the nucleus of this team right now? Yeah, I would. Uh, obviously, I'm sure that Arturis has all kinds of options. You know, I saw one article today, and, and I had thought about this guy too, but reading about it made me think about it even more. The name to watch this summer could be Goran Dragic. You can see that AK really values the international players. You know, he brought in Vucevic, he brought in Tice. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked. You know, Dragic is closer to the end than he is his prime, and he's been hurt a lot in recent years. But, you know, he's a guy who can shoot from the outside, who can run a half-court offense for a couple of years while you're still looking for your long-term replacement at point guard. Because really their options are going to be – option one is to try to get Lonzo Ball. But I think that's going to be very difficult because if you're the Pelicans – you're going to match, you know, unless unless it's some ridiculous offer. And the Bulls aren't going to be in position to offer Lonzo Ball a max offer sheet. So they're not going to be really in a position to give a, an offer sheet that's going to make the Pelicans decide to just let him walk away. Other than that, you've got Kyle Lowry, who's going to want way too much money, more than the Bulls are going to have. Mike Conley, you know, if, if Utah gets knocked out early, maybe he would consider coming back to the Midwest because he was raised in Indianapolis, went to Ohio State for a year. Um, you know, there, there's really not a lot of great options out there because Drew Holiday, of course, resigned with Milwaukee. Um, you know, it's going to be fascinating to see how they address that point guard position. But you can you can know for sure that that AK has a number of plans that he's waiting to, to unveil. 
Okay, I lied. One more college uh, note uh, leading into the NBA. Ayo DeSumo uh, from Illinois, he uh, is going to enter the NBA draft. He looks to be a late first-round pick and, unless something really strange happens. And Kofi Coburn has not entered yet, but I'll be surprised if he if he doesn't, I guess, Mark. But right now he's only listed as a mid-second-round pick. What, what do you think the pro chances are for either of those two players from Illinois? Well, it was interesting. Uh, I had – one of my followers on Twitter asked me about Kofi Coburn today because he was saying too bad the Bulls traded away their uh, first round pick because I'd love to see them get Kofi Coburn because he could be the next Shaq. No, he's not going to be the next Shaq. And, you know, I, I watch a lot of college basketball in mind with how these guys are going to project as pros. And there was a kid at Minnesota last season. His name was Daniel Oturu, who was almost exactly like Kofi Coburn. Stocky, was able to score inside, didn't have much shooting range. And I thought, this guy looks like a pretty good prospect. I thought he'd, you know, he'd go mid to late first round. He went like in the 30s, you know, early second round. And I'm not even sure he's in the league right now. He might be a, a two-way player somewhere in the league. But I think that's what awaits Kofi Coburn unless he decides to go back to Illinois, try to work on his offensive game, expand the shooting range, improve his free throw shooting, get a little bit quicker, you know, improve his lateral quickness so he can switch out on screen and roll. I think the NBA scouts are going to have a ton of questions about Coburn. So it's a long way of saying to the follower who asked that question, I, I said to him, they might be able to get him in the second round if he stays in the draft. True. And and you know what? If I'm him, I'm not going back to Illinois. They should have been force feeding the ball into him all season, and they didn't do it. And, and to take right. another year and, and to take a chance that they're going to turn the offense into you know, him being the focal point, I wouldn't trust that coaching staff at Illinois to do that. So you know, I don't know what he's going to do, but I know I wouldn't be staying at Illinois. All right, walk down memory lane segment. You lead off this week. Well, we talked about Milwaukee earlier, so I'm going to stick with that theme in my uh, go back down memory lane. And this one takes it back to my college years. Um, you know, that was back when I had a little more passion about the NCAA tournament and you're really into it. And the 1979 Final Four was incredible when you consider you had DePaul with Mark McGuire. You had, you, you had uh, Larry Bird at Indiana State, Magic Johnson, and Greg Kelser at Michigan State. And the fourth team was the one I fell in love with. It was the, uh, it was the three, I think they call them the three basketeers from Arkansas. It was Sidney Moncrief, Ron Brewer, the father of Ronnie Brewer, who later played with the Bulls, and Marvin Delph. And these guys were so much fun. They, they were similar to like a UNLV team where they would just run up and down the court, high-flying dunks. I'll never forget the... Uh, the Sports Illustrated cover where it said high on the hogs and they showed a picture of Sidney Moncrief way over the rim getting ready to uncork and do any dunk. Well, myself and a bunch of my college buddies really kind of fell in love with Arkansas. And we were hoping that the Bucks would get him because the Bucks were going to get a high draft pick. We just didn't know if Moncrief would still be on the board. But he had bad knees, which kind of shortened his NBA career. And the Bucks were able to get him at five. So, you know, I followed his career closely as I was starting out in the business. Then I got to work in television in Milwaukee in 1987, and that was towards the end of Moncrief's career. And, you know, I got a chance to interview him a number of times, one of the classiest guys that I've, I've ever run into. I think he, he won a couple of Defensive Player of the Year awards. He might have been the first guy to win it when they unveiled it in the mid-'80s. And, you know, he did a good job against Michael Jordan and some of the top-scoring guards in the league. So, you know, I got to know him a little bit, and it was kind of sad. His career kind of – his last couple of years, he was just a spot player because – he just couldn't play many minutes. His body wouldn't hold up. And so he retired and, you know, I kind of lost track. He, he decided after a year in retirement, he would come back and he played one season for the Atlanta Hawks of all teams. 
And I remember one night they, they came into the United Center and I was on the baseline getting ready to do a live report. And he comes, he comes sneaking up. And he goes, are you the same guy that worked in Milwaukee? <laughs> and so, you know, we just got a chance to catch up. And, you know, he, he was one of the classiest guys that I've run into. And it's always fun when somebody that you watch as a fan turns out to be a really great person as a professional. And so that's that's my Sidney Moncrief story. I, I, he was a he was a really good player. And I think he would have been even better if, if his knees hadn't traded. You know, it's even uh, you're right. You, when you have, when you fall in love with somebody and they turn out to be as nice a person yeah. as they are, the player that you hope that they would be. But conversely, and you have many, you know, I'm sure we both have a hundred stories of this. You, you fall in love with a player and then you meet him for the first or second or third time. And he's a complete a-hole. Right. Right. That happens <laughs> a lot. Yeah. That sort of dampens your spirit. By the way, what Moncrief was was uh, he was teammates with uh, Pressy, wasn't he? Paul Pressy. And, they had and some Pressy, great teams in the eighties really when Don did. Nelson was coaching. They would win yeah. between fifty and sixty games every year, and always lose to Philadelphia or Boston in the, in the playoffs because Philadelphia was loaded back then with uh, Julius Irving and Andrew Tony and all those guys. I mean, it was so tough to get out of the East back then. And, and Pressy, I think, uh, you know, he was the one who uh, had the name or I should say the moniker of the point forward, you know, right. attached to his name. And he was a really good player. Don Nelson, don't get me started on him. I was not a fan of Don Nelson. I know he's no, <laughs> one, no longer with us, I believe. But no, he no, was he's not. still alive. Don Nelson is he? Still okay, alive. all right. He's I'm, smoking I'm pot sorry. in Hawaii. Yeah, okay. But he was no, not nice. Not nice with the media. I'll just simply, or at least not nice with the electronic media. He catered to the uh, print media, and that's always, you know, sort of stuck in my craw a little bit as far as that goes. All right, my story, and I had to look up a lot of these uh, stats uh, just to remember how incredibly uh, this night was. And it's November 27th, 1996. And the Bulls against Sacramento that night, and I know you'll know what, what game I'm talking about. The Bulls jumped out. So they had a 36-point lead in the first half. They had a 35-point 35, 35 lead with 8.50 to go in the third quarter, leading the Sacramento Kings, which was a horrible team that year, 79-44. to 44. The Bulls started out in the first quarter. They shot 71% with no turnovers. So they were just blitzing a terrible Sacramento Kings team. The Bulls had Derrick Rose. The Bulls had Luol Deng. The Bulls had Andres Nocioni. Unfortunately, they had Vinny Del Negro as their coach. And I'm sitting, I'm doing stats at courtside with the G-man, uh, better known um, uh, around the league, Gary Giroux, who's been doing the Sacramento Kings now for, I don't know, three or four decades. He's been there forever and ever. And, you know, he's sort of, and he's a homer to a degree, but a really nice guy. And it's sort of depressing, you know, his Kings are getting blown out. And to me, it's just another game. But all of a sudden, the Kings started playing. And I think Tyreek Evans, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, just had there. a yeah at a game, you know, and he was a young player at that point, and he started coming alive, and the Bulls just started choking. That's all you could say. They blew a 35-point lead with 8.50 to go in the third quarter. They had a 19-point lead going into the fourth quarter as well, but the Kings ended up outscoring the Bulls down the stretch 58-19, to and it was one of the biggest come-from-behind victories. I don't think it's the all-time NBA record, but it was damn close. And it was just unbelievable. The fans booed the Bulls, rightfully so, off the court. And there were so many games with Vinny Del Negro, who ultimately had a 500 record as a Bulls head coach. 
but it was a so symbolic of his time in Chicago. I don't think that was the game where John Paxson pulled on his tie, but I bet it wasn't too. <laughs> I bet it wasn't too long after that that he probably did. So that's my memory. I mean, I just couldn't believe. It. I mean, you, you, I know their teams can come from behind and teams can blow big leads, but to blow a thirty-five point lead with eight eight and a half minutes to go in the third quarter, it's almost unheard of. Yeah, I remember watching that game and seeing the lead shrink and shrink and shrink and thinking there's no way they can lose this game. And, yes, they found a way to lose. Wasn't Tyreek Evans rookie of the year when he came out of Memphis? He might have been. Yeah, I think yeah. he was, to be honest. And he had a pretty good career himself, obviously. Yeah, because he followed Derrick Rose at Memphis. That's right. So, yeah, That's right. It, it's just crazy. And, and everyone thought he was going to have a really good career. He kind of fizzled out pretty quickly. Yeah, well, unfortunately, he played out in Sacramento. That well, he got he he moved around, didn't he? He went to Indiana later in his career. I mean, he had a he probably played eight or nine years in the league. But I mean, when you start out rookie of the year and averaging twenty points a game and all that, he never really lived up to that as as his career progressed. Well, uh, as we know in baseball, uh, was Jock Peterson? We're talking baseball again. Wasn't he rookie of the year in uh, for the Dodgers? Yeah, made the All Star okay. team as a rookie. Okay, well, you know, rookies of the year don't always pan out the way you hope that they do because until today, he was hitless in the baseball season. So rookies of the year sometimes don't always pan out. I well, guess. Did, you see, did you see his quote today? He said, uh, you know, we're going to come out of this hitting slump, enjoy the show. All right. If you get that team I, I, batting average over 200, you know, let us hear about that. I think he meant enjoy the podcast that you and I are doing. That's right. Much more enjoyable than watching Cubs baseball right now. All right, Mark, I, by next week, I think the Bulls might be, uh, as they say, moving on up. That was George right. Jefferson. Right, um, the arrow is pointing up. Arrow is pointing up. All right, Mark, good talking to you again, and uh, we'll do this again next week. Yeah, I'm going to head down to the man cave and watch that uh, Utah Suns game, and I, and I did mention in my story that I've got an autographed Sidney Moncrief uh, picture that's uh, probably displayed in my man cave. Rightfully so. All right, Mark, <laughs> we'll talk to you next week. All right, David, sounds good.